Well, we, yeah, we're praying. We're praying that that would happen too. All right, we're we're uh, we're going to be back in chapter three, and um, it's been several weeks since we we actually were together and studied the word. So what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, back up and uh, and just start from the beginning of chapter three. We were a little ways into it, but not much, and it would just help I think our cause if we did that. So when we, uh, I'll pray, and then before we, after we pray, we'll go around the room, and I'd like to read through um, uh, the first, um, oh, I guess the first 11 verses. Well, you know what? There's enough of us here today. Why don't we just read the whole chapter, and, uh, and we'll just uh, go from table to table. Uh, Denny's table, John's table, Gary's table, Tom's table, and our table in that order, one verse apiece as we go around. And we'll go through the entire chapter of Philippians chapter 3. All right, so let's start with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll dig in. Father, Father, we thank you for uh, John's recovery, for the way things are going in his life. We just pray that you continue to work in his life. And uh, I don't know what you have for him yet, and I'm sure he doesn't either, but we just pray that you would open his eyes to what you have for him. We pray for the situation in Cuba with the Bibles. <clears throat> we know that they are uh, sitting there waiting to be distributed to many, many churches that have not even a single Bible. So we pray that you'll open that up and make a way that can only be done because of you so that people will say what a great God we have. We want you to be honored and praised in, in what happens there. For the situation with our uh, the, the funds we are looking for for providing Bibles for uh, for Florence and for uh, some for Nigeria, we just pray again your continued uh, direction in each of our lives. Thank you, Father, for the funds that have come in. We ask again that you would uh, guide and direct in that way, and and that your will would be accomplished in this matter. Um, we pray as we dig in today to, to chapter three of Philippians, you would open our eyes to what you have for us. May the May the Spirit speak to each of us in a way that brings uh, encouragement and um, brings challenge and uh, brings uh, change where, where it's necessary in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's get started with Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Danny, take it away. Thing I do, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward to what is ahead. I press, I press on. 
all of us then who are mature should take such a thing, such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Brethren, join following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But we are chosen of heaven, and where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. All right. <laughs> Amen. All right, so we're back at uh, verse 1. And uh, in verse 1, it says, finally, really, this, uh, it means uh, the idea comes with the idea that it's not the final thing, because there's another whole chapter yet to go. It's, okay, now we're going to move on, is kind of what is being said here. And it says, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, and it, it, it's of no trouble for me to write again this, and it is a safeguard. What are we supposed to do? What's the passage say, verse 1? Rejoice. Rejoice. What's one of the key things of Philippians joy joy yeah uh, someone who will rename nameless Tom uh, could tell uh, wants me to do James you know you know I I, I, I have a love-hate relationship with this book and I said to him Sunday when he came, he sent me a note saying hey I've, this is really a good book you, you ought to consider doing this I said, you know how much we're getting beat up just doing Philippians? This is a good book. This was a good church. Okay, they did a lot of good things. You really want us to go to James where basically all we're doing is learning about how wicked we are, how wrong we are? <laughs> but anyhow, apparently uh, one of these days, it, it almost happened this, but we pr I promised Philippians, I promised, promised Colossians after Philippians. So then we'll see what happens after that. So if Tom keeps praying, who knows? Maybe that'll happen. Um, but uh, the thing that about this this passage that reminds me is that we have uh, we're going to be looking at in essence three snapshots. And and today, if we're really really fortunate, we'll get through the first snapshot, which is Paul's past. We remember uh, several weeks ago when we were here last, I put up Paul's past for uh, verses one through eleven, Paul's present verses twelve through sixteen. And verses and Paul's future verses 17 through 21. So it's the idea of God. Paul is an accountant. He's talking about what it counts. I count new values. He's an athlete in, in the the second portion of it. He says, "I press on. I'm an athlete. I press on with new vigor. I'm going to press on and and try to attain the goal." Uh, in verse uh, 17 through 21, he talks about his future and he talks about, "I'm not from this world. This is not my citizenship." My citizenship is elsewhere. I'm looking for the resurrection. I'm looking for the fact that I have a citizenship in heaven. And it's going to be, I look for a new, we start off with, I count on new values. I press forward with new vigor. And lastly, I look for a new vision. And the new vision is what God hopefully will give to us as we look here and as we continue forward. In verse 20, it says that our citizenship is, is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. You know, Paul uh, is going to be talking about, as we dig into this, we're going to be talking about the fact that he was like a lot of religious people. Um, the problem with his religion is that, that his own righteousness was never going to be enough to get him to heaven. It just wasn't. He had to literally lose his religion in order to gain his salvation. Think about that. How often do you and I go through the steps of whatever it is that we believe and we think that that's going to somehow earn us, uh, you know, good marks, you know, attaboys from God. And, and there is a sense to which, yes, we are looking for attaboys. We're looking for well done, good and faithful servant. But that in and of itself is never what's going to get us to heaven. So we talk about, and we're going to be talking about as we dig into this, two types of righteousness or spiritual wealth if you will uh, the works of righteousness and the faith of righteousness the works of righteousness will never save us 
saving faith only comes through faith in Christ Jesus. All right, so now that we've kind of wrapped it up a little bit, let's dig a little further here and, and see what I get. Okay, so we talked about uh, in verse 2, we talked about last uh, time we were together, we talked about these persecutors, these Jewish persecutors. These are what, what we have termed Judaizers. Uh, and by that, we mean somebody who is a, in all probability, a follower of Jesus, just that they have a different perspective, and their perspective is not one of living by grace, but living by rules, living by the law. If you're going to be a good Christian, you have to become a Jew, is what their thought process is. Now, that kind of makes sense if you start off that way, because who, who, were, the first, who were the first Christians? Jews. What, what was uh, Paul's plan and God's plan was always to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles, right? So uh, it would make sense that, that the first converts are Jews. The second group of converts were proselytes, you know, uh, Samaritans and then the, 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 the Gentiles who were not quite fully Jewish, but were following a lot of the Jewish traditions and laws. They were, they were the, on their way to becoming, uh, perhaps accepting Judaism. Well, we talked about this in Philippians is one of those areas. Who was, uh, uh, let's see, was it Philippians? Uh, yeah, who was the first uh, uh, believer in the new, in, in, uh, in Greece, in, Ma in uh, Macedonia? A woman, right? Yeah, Lydia, the seller of purple, right? So, uh, and she was a she was not a Jew, but she was a, a Gentile who had apparently converted to Judaism. We know that there was no there was no synagogue. Why? Do you remember why? Was it what does it take to have a synagogue? How many? Ten. Ten. You need ten guys. Don't have ten guys. You don't have don't have you can't have a synagogue. <coughs> And it didn't, it obviously didn't have 10 guys. They were mooting down by a river with primarily a lot of women. By the way, in that time frame, it was a lot easier to be, to be a, a woman and convert to Judaism than a guy. Why? Circumcision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a pretty big deal, you know. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, okay. So that was an issue that became a, a problem was whether or not you were going to be circumcised. So, And then Paul identifies them, these these uh, uh, these Judaizers, he does a couple of things. He talks about them as mutilators of the flesh. That that's a a slang term, if you will, for 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 circumcision. And and they're talking about the mutil. And, and it's not, by the way, it's not just um, it, it's not just uh, uh, Israelites that quote unquote mutilated the flesh, circumcised themselves. Other other groups in the uh, in the Middle East at times did certain types of circumcision, but more importantly, the mutilators of the flesh idea comes from. You remember, remember this prophet by the name of Elijah. He goes up against a whole host of guys, uh, pr priests that worship oh, yeah, Baal. What they couldn't get the fire going. What were they doing when That's trying to get? They were slicing themselves open. What were they doing? mutilating their flesh in an attempt to get God's their God's attention. So it, it's a way of bringing God's attention. Yeah, look at me. I'm okay. I'm, I'm good. I'm, it, this is the and then he goes on to say that he calls them dogs. Do who, who were, who, as far as the Jews were concerned, who were dogs? Samaritans. Samaritans. And who else? The next step. The, anyone who wasn't a Jew, a Gentile, yeah, was a, was a dog. What's he doing? He's turning the tables on him. He's saying, no, 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 you think you're, you're not even, you're a dog. You're the ones that are the problem. You're the ones that are evil. You're, you're the ones who are causing problems. It says that uh, uh, in Galatians, uh, Paul's dealing with this as well. And he talks about the fact that he calls these, these Judaizers, that's the term I'm going to use, he says they're agitators, and he says, I wish they would just go out and emasculate themselves. That's in Galatians 5.12, if you don't believe me. That's Paul's thought. He says, I just wish they would go out and emasculate themselves, become eunuchs. 
So he goes on to say, I want you finally, I, I, I'm getting close to the end here. I want you to know that it's to the Jews first, then to the, the Samaritans, uh, to the proselytes, uh, the Jewish proselytes, then the Samaritans, it's, and then from there to the Gentiles. And he says it didn't take long for, it didn't take long for, the, for those that were strict Jew, Jewish believers who wanted to continue to follow the law to its maximum uh, uh, point and everything. It, he, it, they followed, they went to Antioch and they opposed Paul's ministry there, remember that? And then they, it was almost like they just followed him wherever he went. Have you ever had guys like that? I had a guy like that in, in uh, one ministry. Every time I went to a new ministry, he would, he would send a letter telling the, the, the new ministry all of the, re, all of the reasons why they shouldn't have hired me because I was a terrible person. This went on for years. It was fun. No, no, it really wasn't. <laughs> uh, it, it was frustrating, you know, because they just followed along right after you, just nipping at your heels, you know. But, uh, but God was faithful. God took care of it in, in his time and his way. Um, so they're evil workers. <clears throat> a Christian good works uh, should be the result of his faith, not the basis of his faith. Remember what, what is Ephesians 2, 8, and uh, 8 and 9 say? Anybody? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? Saving by grace through faith. Through and faith, not, of, not, not of your works. So, right, so no one will boast. And then what does it say in verse 10? Yes, yes, there are works prepared for us, right. Well, so the issue is faith first, then the cart. The cart is the good works that God's prepared before for us to do. So often we put the cart in front of the horse, and it doesn't work real well. Um, I've, I've never seen it work in, you know, I've never actually seen one. Have you ever seen anybody have a cart in front of a horse and the horse trying to walk? I've never seen that. Fiddler on the roof. Okay. Did it work? Well, okay, but he didn't have a horse. He had to push the car himself. Man, it's been a while since I've seen Fiddler on the Roof. If I were a rich man, okay. So, <laughs> all right. Yes. Yeah, for those of you who haven't read the Naked Gospel, it's a, it's an interesting book. Um, I there are a lot of things about it I really like. There are a few things I didn't care for, um, but it's a, it's an interesting read. It will give you some perspective, especially in my from my perspective, having come from a very legalistic background in my upbringing. Uh, I could relate to a lot of what F Farley had to say. Uh, he talks about the fact that it's faith, it's not works. And so often we get, s Farley's contention is that we get saved by faith, but we earn God's favor by doing good works. And if we don't do good works, if we don't, you know, if, if, if we... If, if we are not in church every time it's open, if we're not... Uh, you know, if if we're not depriving ourselves of the of the, the works of the flesh, you know, if we're not if we're if we're if we're going to movies, if we're drinking, if we're smoking, if we go with girls that do, you know, we're 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 evil, and and God is not pleased with us. You know, it's the it's the old idea that I, when I was younger and, and it was growing up, it, we knew we were good Christians if we could check off the list. You know, well, I don't cuss, I don't chew. I don't go with girls that do. I don't go to movies. I don't dance. I don't. Uh, I don't go to places where they serve liquor. Now it's okay if I go to a place that sells liquor, you know, like a grocery store. But I can't go to a place that serves it. I don't understand it. It was strange. The people that. In this that, case, though, he's just telling personally to the guilt and depression of not doing enough. Yeah. It wasn't the things he didn't do. He felt he could never. He never do enough. enough. Depressed or guilty. 
It's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that happens when you start to look at yourself and you go, I can never measure up to what God expects me to, to be. And there's some truth to that. You, you know, Jesus says in one of the parables, he talks about servants taking care of the master. And when they've done everything the master asked them, they're still supposed to say, I am unworthy because I've only done what was expected of me. Do you, do you, can you imagine that? I mean, it's, it's that, that whole idea. If you, if you allow that to dig into your mind, and I believe it's really, I believe it's, it's, uh, it's of the devil when that happens because what happens is the devil is trying to make you feel guilty that you can never do enough. Now, is it possible that we fail? Oh, yeah, I fail every day. Uh, I know most of you don't, but uh, I'm just, you know, where I'm at is that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a failure. Uh, when it comes to, to being what God expects me to be. Uh, I, I have a hard time living up to the expectations God has for me. The only reason I do it is not by my own power. How do, I, how do, you, how do you survive? How do you do what God wants you to do? Is it by your own power? By whose power? I'm sorry? By his power. Who, 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 who empowers us? Holy Spirit. Yeah. Exactly. Kind of like Romans, huh? Yeah. 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 All right. Um, you know, it's funny. You look at right before um, chapter three. You know, you talk about the gentleman that almost died over service. Yeah. Yeah, because you know that's the first thing that happens, and you know, you know, this is one of those struggles. I think we all have. At least I have. I'll just name myself as top of the list. I'll ask God for help. God provides the help, whatever that is. And the first thing I do is I boast about how good I am. You know, Lord, I need I need sales. I need to bring some money in. You know, and God brings the money in. The first thing I do is I want to dance around and say how great I am. You know, I look at what I did. I did this. No, I didn't. I didn't do a thing. God brought it in. All right, we'll, we'll flee from that. I know you, we don't want to talk about that. All right, we talk about uh, uh, in verse 3, it ends with that uh, we, we should put no confidence in the flesh. Uh, I think, uh, Gary, you read that passage, and you read it out of the uh, New Living Translation. Yeah, and we it's, what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. In human effort. So it's the idea of uh, our flesh, uh, the old nature. It's something we were born uh, with uh, flesh is only corrupts uh, God's way on earth. Uh, Genesis six uh, twelve says God saw how corrupt the earth had become, and all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. This is just before the flood, by the way. Uh, it profits nothing as far as the spiritual life. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit; they are life. That's jo- uh, Jesus speaking in John six. So, uh, remember, we've talked about this. Um, uh, I, I gave you the example of a, a woman who uh, was arguing with her pastor over the matter of faith and works, and she explained that, that she thought that the way you got to heaven was kind of like a rowboat. One oar is faith and the other is works. And if you use both, you get there. If you only use one, you go in circles. And the pastor was really wise in thinking about this. I don't know how he did it because sometimes it just comes to you. He says, there's only one thing wrong with your illustration. He says, nobody gets to heaven in a rowboat. <laughs> so <laughs> for what that's worth, I just throw that out there. All right, so uh, what, what Paul wants to talk about is when he talks about circumcision, what kind of circumcision is Paul talking about? Is he talking about physical circumcision? The heart, spiritual, really. So wh- how, how, do we, how do we circumcise the heart? Those of you who are doctors, do we cut the peritoneum out and... How, how do we how do we do that physically spiritually? Dying to self. Dying to self. Okay. Uh, circumcise your. In fact, by the way, this is not new. This idea of circumcising your heart is not new. It's in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy ten sixteen. This is the second giving of the law, right, by Moses, and it says here in second second Deuteronomy or Deuteronomy ten. 
uh, uh, 16. It says, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. So apparently the neck and the heart are somehow connected, you know? Uh, Meaning the uh, <coughs> arrogance of thinking that you chose to be stiff-necked. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it has to do with the mind. Sure. Romans mind? 12, 1 and 2. Yeah. We do, what do we do? We, we transform the, our mind by the renewing of it. That transformation is the, in the Greek is metamor is the word we get metamorphosis from. It's, it's what happens to uh, a, a, a caterpillar when it becomes a butterfly. Yeah. It, it goes on, Leviticus, Leviticus talks about the fact that they had uncircumcised hearts. Jeremiah talks about the fact that we need to circumcise not only the flesh, but also our hearts. So there's a whole host of things we talk about here. In God's economy, spiritual circumcision is always way more important than physical circumcision. In God's economy, spiritual circumcision is always more important. And there are all sorts of places. Uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Romans all talk about this. Um, all right, I'm trying to get on to new stuff. <laughs> uh, we talked about the ways of uh, uh, spiritually circumcising ha happens in, in one of three ways, and I think all three are involved. One is uh, when we worship, true believers worship by the Spirit of God. Uh, John 4 talks about a little bit about that. So there's this whole idea of worshiping God uh, in, internally, uh, spiritual worship in contrast with legalism or outward conformity to the law. You know, I went to a, a Christian school when I was in uh, junior high and high school, and we had a whole, and then even in my undergraduate degree, we had a whole list of rules. If you did the rules, you were okay. It didn't matter what your heart was like. You could be had the blackest heart in the world, but if you did the rules, you were good as far as they were concerned. Now, you know, I wasn't supposed to listen to tunes, you know, rock and roll, and, of course, I didn't in the school, and I didn't at home, but I was alone with myself in the car. Guess what? They were on. Why? Because I'm an evil person. I didn't believe in doing the word, you know, in understanding what they were attempting to, to, to do. Now, did I totally agree with it? No, but that's beside the point. I said I would do it. I would obey the rules, and I signed a contract. And I had a hard time obeying contracts, you know. All right, so, so we talk about the glory. This idea of glory is boasting. Who gets the glory? Who gets the right to boast? Who gets bragging rights when something happens? God. So what happens so often is all of us want to take God's glory. Everyone knows all of us want to claim bragging rights for what God does. Isn't that amazing? When we start to brag about, you know, God, Paul says, let me glory in nothing but this that Christ died for me and I am saved because of his death and resurrection? Well, why is it I, I glory in it? And we all do this. Have you ever noticed? It, all you got to do is, especially, you know, I hate to tell you, pastors are probably the worst of the lot. You go into a pastor's conference, the first thing everyone wants to know if they don't know who you are, what's the name of your church? Do I recognize it? Is it really important? Uh, how many people are attending how many conversions did you have and how many baptisms did you have? And then if you really get the last one, the last stat is, and how's the giving going? <laughs> and, it, what, what, and we all want to brag about what we did. And we all boast about what we've accomplished. And it's not us that's accomplished it. Do you think that God is pleased with large churches and not pleased with small churches? Do you think there's a place in God's economy for a small church? Do you think that maybe the small churches have it harder than a big church? What's that? There's always the church within the church. Yeah. 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 So the last thing that we've talked about is confidence. Where is your confidence? Is your confidence in the flesh? Is your confidence in your pocketbook? Is your confidence in the car that you drive, in the house that you live in, 
in the location of where it is, in your uh, vacation properties that you have. Vocation, yeah. Is, it, is that what your confidence is in or is your confidence in God? And the struggle that we all have is putting our confidence in God. It's the best thing in the world to be able to brag about yourself as far as you're concerned. <laughs> I'm not sure everybody else cares, but you know. So we need to remember that our confidence needs to be in God. All right. All right, so let's continue. Oh, you had a comment, Tom. Understanding wisdom, yeah. you know, sometimes wisdom comes with age, and sometimes it seems to pass some of us by. Um, <laughs> anyhow, So let's take a look at, at he says, uh, it talks about confidence. Where do we put our confidence in? We, do we put our confidence in the flesh? And, and, and this is in verse, uh, uh, verse 4 and following. And we're going it, to, it's just kind of a couple of interesting thoughts. As we, he says, I, I'm, I've got as much, you know, you want to show me your pedigree, I'll show you mine. You know, step into my, my hall of fame, you know, and I'll show you what I've got. I, I used to, I, I had a friend at another church, and, I, you know, he was a great guy, and I appreciated him in so many ways. But one of the things that used to crack me up is if you go over to his house, you'd go down a set of stairs and into his office area. And the entire stairway and then into his office way was his hall of fame. All of the things that he had accomplished, everything that he had done, he had patents and he had this and he had that. And, 
and you know he had his various degrees up and and it was just the entire wall was down the stairs and then on into his office area was nothing but all of his accomplishments and it used to crack me up and said this one paul you know she's okay fine you want to show me your credentials i'll show you mine let's compare let's see who's best okay so he starts out by saying i was i was circumcised on the eighth day was that was that the appropriate time to Yes, it was. It was appropriate time to circumcise a, a Jewish uh, male child. And of the people of Israel, he's, a, he's, a, he's an Israelite. That's pretty important. They were the chosen people, after all. Of the tribe of Benjamin, really, what, what is so significant of the tribe of Benjamin? There's at least two things that I can think of. We talked about one the last time we were together. Remember what it is? What's, what's the significance of the tribe of Benjamin? Yeah, they were the smallest, yeah, which is... Um, not necessarily a good thing because they they did evil and and then so then in order to c take care of the evil israel did more evil as much evil or more than what ben, the tribe of benjamin did but what was the significance of benjamin okay first king came from benjamin what was so what was the first king's name Saul. what was paul's name in hebrew saul, saul. It's pretty important. By the anything else about Benjamin that was important? So the right hand, yeah, yeah. The, who was who was Benjamin's? Who? Where was Benjamin in, in the line of uh, of uh, brothers? Ra Ra he was Rachel's youngest son, and who was who was Rachel? Uh, the two of uh, the two the the two brothers the two sons of Rachel which was Jacob's or Israel's favorite wife who were they do you remember Joseph and Benjamin who who what happened to the tribe of Joseph this is off the subject but just anybody remember split and Ephraim and Manasseh, yeah, yeah, and and so Benjamin though is the youngest. He's the he's the runt of the litter. He's the you know Joseph was the favorite until Joseph disappeared because his brother sold him to slavery. So Benjamin became the apple of his dad's eye. So there's a lot of pride that goes with being in the tribe of Benjamin over any almost any of the other tribes. Okay, so that's that's it. And he goes on to say he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What's that mean? <laughs> yeah, he followed all the laws. Yeah, and of the of of what was he of the law regarding the law? He was a. What does that mean? Is that a bad thing? Oh man, we always talk about you know t today we talk about Pharisees. Oh, they're bad. They believe in the resurrection. Yeah, they believe in the resurrection. Yeah, they do. Which makes it easy for Paul to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. It makes it a lot easier than if he was a Sadducee. Yeah, I think struck by lightning on the porch of Damascus. Did it yeah, I think that light, that bright light had something to do. Yeah, but, but if you think about it, he's a rabbi, correct? Yeah. He yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, Gamaliel. Of everything he knew, that's why you look at these epistles that he wrote the letters. It's just amazing. And then you, you think about this. They hated, you know, because here. He Yeah. Yeah. Everything was kind of like three years he spent in what we call what what the Bible calls Arabia is probably the area west of the Jordan. I'm uh, sorry, east of the Jordan, in what would be now uh, part of Jordan, uh, on down into uh, Saudi Arabia. But that whole area through there is he probably was where he was at. He spends three years um, <coughs> relearning everything that he had been trained as a rabbi to do. So he, as, as the law, a Pharisee, that was a good thing. It was not a bad thing, okay? We tend today, we see the, we see the fallacies of the Pharisees. We see the, the failures of the Pharisees. And yet, 
Many Pharisees were honest and good, and they truly believed that what they were doing was right. They didn't do things uh, for, for, man, for man's praise. They did it because they believed this is what God wanted them to do, and they were attempting to obey the law in every aspect. So that becomes down to, as in zeal, zeal, uh, by the way, zeal for the law did not always include violence. But it could. In zeal, concerning the zeal, he did what? Persecuted the church. How does that work out? He was successful. He was successful, yeah. <laughs> he was so successful that uh, he went to the, the chief priest, he went to the, the high priest and go, hey, could I get some letters of introduction to the synagogues in Damascus? If I find any Christians there, I'm rooting them out. You know, it was the it was the equivalent of the Spanish Inquisition, only it was the Jewish Inquisition. You know, I'm I'm looking for people that are that are not like us, that don't believe like us. So, um, pretty much, and of course, it was interesting that God kind of put a stop to it pretty quick. You know, so, but it was good. By the way, one of the reasons that the persecution came. Do you know why one of the one of the reasons the persecution came to the church? Disbursement. What were they supposed to do? Go into the world. Go into all the world. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. What did they do? Hey, they had a holy huddle, man. We're in Jerusalem. We don't need to go anywhere else. We're good. This is this is where we need to be, man. And God goes, uh, wait a second. That wasn't the plan. I think we gave you instructions. Remember up on the mountain, the, the 12 of you were there. You saw me when I disappeared. The angels told you what to do. What happened here? Okay, you know, my will will be accomplished either in a way that you'll be pleased with or in a way that you might not be pleased with, but my will is going to be accomplished. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, so, uh, you know, I guess the question you get to all of this when he says, uh, and as far as, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. I did nothing wrong. If you look for a sincere man, is it possible that you could be sincere and be so wrong? Do you know people that are, that are so sincere with what they believe, but they're just absolutely wrong? You know why? They're using the wrong measuring stick. They're, they're using the wrong thing to decide whether or not they're truly measuring up to what they should be. Remember the Hubble telescope? Remember it didn't work? You know why it didn't work? They used the wrong measure. You know what they did? My, my, my brother-in-law was involved in, in some of that. One group was doing it in metrics, and the other group was doing it in English. And they didn't They didn't make the change. He goes, it was, it was kind of embarrassing for the guys that blew it, because everyone was using one method, and there was one group that didn't change to the correct method, and so it got screwed up. And they, it was the mirrors, and it was all, they, but they managed to fix it, but they had to do a lot of, finagling to make it work right after it was up in the air uh, actually up in space I'm not sure is there, is there air in space okay just asking all right so um so he used the wrong measuring stick and the result of that was that he was just wrong he was not going to be able he was not going to go to heaven as a result of that sometimes you know as far as outwardly the demands of the law paul was a success but consider the inward sins he was committing and in sinful attitudes and appetites are just as bad as sinful actions? Huh. Okay, let's flee from that very quickly before we get too, you know, that's, that's pretty deep, right? I, I don't want to get, yeah, I don't want to get in too much trouble here. So he goes on to say he considers all of those gains I consider whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ 
Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. What does it mean to know Christ Jesus? I'm I'm going to put something out there, and I need to be very careful as to how I say do this, but in the English language, there are different ways of knowing people, right? You can know about somebody in the Old Testament. It talks about knowing your spouse. What are they referring to? Sex. And, and there's, there's a deeper level of knowing that person. I'm not saying that this is sex with Jesus. Okay, don't get me wrong. That's why I'm, I'm concerned about you understanding. I'm not saying that. But there is a deeper level than just knowing about somebody. You know, it, it's so often we, you know, oh, yeah, I know so-and-so. Well, you know, I've maybe met them. It doesn't mean that I actually know them. It's not like they're a personal friend. You know, I, I have a hard time saying, yeah, I know so-and-so. Well, I'm really kind of their acquaintance. I'm not really their friend because I'm, I, you know, it's not like we buddy-buddy. It's not like we go out and, you know, go to parties or go to eat or whatever. That, that's not... So there's a different level of knowing, and, and Paul is talking here about knowing somebody that's so deep, so understanding that you know all about them. The more you know about somebody, the more you become like them. The more you take on their attributes. And they wrote, you ever notice you spend time with somebody who's got a, a particular way of, of a series of phrases, and suddenly you start using those phrases? Okay, none of you do that. It's just me. When I was when I when I did my undergraduate study in the South. I started picking up southern phrases and southern expressions and occasionally a southern twang. I learned that some of you need to be blessed by your hearts so much. Some of you are so, oh, just bless their hearts. (laughs) Why? Because I spent time in the south. The more you spend time with Jesus, do you think you'll start acting like Jesus? Do you think you'll start talking like Jesus? Do you think you'll start thinking like Jesus? Do you think you maybe start doing things like Jesus? If you're not, are you spending enough time with him? Just asking. Yeah, yeah, it is. And then we need to do more than just spend time in it. We need to apply it. Now, here's the, here's the best part of this passage, and it's also one of the toughest. Hopefully you will, yeah. Yeah. And if, if, and if you're really seeking to know God's will, God's going to reveal to you when you're not, if you're truly trying to. You know, I, I've told you this, that, you know, the two, the two great laws of, of, of uh, Jesus gives us, love God, love your neighbor as, as yourself, right? So I was really good at the loving God part for years, man. That was my that was my thing, you know. I, that's what I that was my whole emphasis on that. And it suddenly dawned on me that I can't love God if I don't love others. That's what First John talks about. It's like crap. <laughs> now I have to give a crap, you know. And 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 so the result is that I had to start doing horizontal versus just vertical obedience. Horizontal is loving people like yourselves. It's, you know, and I still do. A, of, of all of it, that's, the, that's still my hardest thing. Some of you are really good at the horizontal and not so good at the vertical probably. I'm just guessing. Because mine is I'm really good with the vertical and I'm not so good with the horizontal. I really struggle. And yet God says that all of the law and prophets, in other words, all of Scripture hangs on those two commands. Now, speaking about crap, I, he, says, you know, he says, I consider everything I've had, everything I gained, I consider loss of all things. And he says, I consider them rubbish. Someone else said, uh, translation said garbage. It, th- those are both wrong. That, that's not what it really says in the Greek. It really means crap. It means dung. <laughs> it really does. That's what it means. Th- think, of, think of what that says. Everything that I, get, I, that I based my my a reality on my my self-worth on I now consider as 
a dung heap as an outhouse. I had a friend that preached this passage and used some of those same phrases and a lady after the service came up to him and he was just livid that he would use that word from the pulpit. And he finally looked at her. He was so, he was so perturbed with her. He finally looked at her and says, ma'am, you're just, you should just be glad I didn't say shit. <laughs> and walked away. And it's like, uh, I, I had some great, some, I had some great pastor friends. I'll tell you, some of them are just, oh, well. Ah, you love them. Bless their heart. <laughs> so that's what God says we are to do. We're to count it all rubbish. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but f- through the faith in Christ that I have righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And we call that, Gary, we talk about the three types of salvation, and you, you, you've mentioned it before. you remember what they are? The three parts of salvation. One is justification and sanctification and glorification. All right. Verse 9, justification. Verse 10, which we're not going to get to. Thanks for coming. Uh, Verse 10, sanctification. Verse 11, when we get there, glorification. Those three things all happen. One is our standing with God. One is our relationship that continues to develop as we spend time with him and as he spends time with us. And lastly, the final act of salvation is when we are fully and completely glorified and we have the glorified body that Christ and the Father have promised to us. All right, we are reaching the end of our hour, so let's close. We will pick it up here next week. We got through a bunch of it. We'll pick up verse 10 and, and, uh, and uh, verses maybe 9, 10, and 11 and following after that. So let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for spending time in your word. And thank you, Father, for our uh, interest in you. Help us to learn to know you better, that we might know you in the fullness and the power of your resurrection, but also in the fellowship of your suffering. Father, we pray that you would uh, guide and direct in our hearts. Thank you again for the way that you continue to minister to us, and we pray that you would bless us, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.